0: With a degree from Harvard Law School and UC Berkeley, Julian Zarafian has worked incredibly hard to achieve what can be considered as pretty much the highest pinnacle of success that we attribute in society. However, while soldiering through his education and working towards building a strong career, he has battled stress and anxiety at a level that could bring down the best of us. But by continually trying to improve his cognitive, behavioral, emotional and mental state of mind, he has painted a story of resilience and courage that he now uses to highlight the importance of mental health through various blogs and social media platforms. In this episode of the Niamat Podcast, we look at the effect of normalizing the competitive nature of an academic or professional environment to the point where we fail to recognize that we might be putting our mental well-being at stake. Here's hoping you derive as much value as we did from Julian's fascinating take on the state of mental health awareness in the world today and how we can stay more mindful of our own and each other's well-being. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this very special episode of the Niamat Podcast. We are here with Julian Zarafian, who we are so honored to have on the podcast today. Julian, would you like to tell us a little more about yourself?
1: Hey, yeah. Thank, thank you for the introduction, Ananya. And I'm happy to be here. Uh, I am a recent uh, ex-lawyer based in the States. I went to law school at Harvard, undergrad at UC Berkeley. I majored in economics, worked at a big law firm doing corporate and transactional work for a couple of years, until about two and a half months ago, I quit to focus on mental health and explore my interests outside of law. And there's a lot we can unpack there, but that's kind of the short version.
0: Yeah, we're already majorly impressed by uh, your background. And also, it's super inspiring that uh, you literally had the world in the palm of your hands with all the credentials and with all the hard work that you've done. And it really takes a lot of courage to actually speak up about mental health, even though we're currently in a landscape where uh, people are embracing and uh, accepting that the idea of mental health is as important as physical health, if not more. But uh, I still think that it's it's a really, really brave thing to do. So thank you so much for actually speaking about this I'm sure that you're touching a lot of lives and uh, definitely making the world a much better place than it is
1: I, I, I appreciate the kindness and and I hope so you know we can all do our small part however impactful it can be you know
0: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I think, you know, even though it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderfully generous and uh, very humanitarian thought to actually speak up about this um, publicly, uh, was there anything that you would like to share from your own personal experience that you felt that it was important enough Uh, to actually speak to other people uh, about identifying any signs of, uh, you know, that something might be wrong with their mental health or something that uh, they might be overlooking with respect to their mental health?
1: Yeah, I have a lot we can talk about there. I mean, I would first start by saying we as a world have a lot to learn in the mental health space. I think the biggest problem right now is that as a species and society, we are incredibly ignorant of these issues, what they look like, what they feel like, how to manage them, what causes them, you name it, we're, we're trying as quickly as we can to learn, right? But neuroscience is just over 20 years old as a field. So so we have a long way to go, and not, not to mention the stigma, of course, has locked conversations about these things in a corner. And so we have no context. We're, we're basically all blind and realizing in despair just how dire things are and you know i think the, the pandemic helped in this way right normalizing the sense of misery to the point that mental health became a subject matter that came to the fore it's still going to take time right for, for everyone to, to fully adapt and unpack these things in a way that is educational and constructive for, for the world but i can say you know from my own experiences like it's it's different for everyone okay so my my path there was a lot of anxiety. And what it looked and felt like was a lot of self-doubt and worrying about things that were out of my control. And it only went on in my own head, which is part of the tricky part here, right? Because I I was never educated on what these things looked or felt like. And so when I got the best grades at school and the best job and the pedigree and the success, I, I only got external positive reinforcement, right? From our, from our world. I never got someone sitting me down and being like, hey, you know that thought in your head when you were like blanking out in the middle of the interview because you were so panicked that you didn't want to like <laughs> uh, have it be silent for three seconds because you couldn't handle the silence. That's anxiety, right? Like that's that never happened because we're we have just not built up the infrastructure yet. So I will say, I think people should really examine their thought patterns as much as they can if they sense that they are anxious or if they sense that they are worrying a lot for things that ultimately are not in their control. Those are warning signs that, that there, there's some anxiety lurking around in your, in your mind. Right. And it, it probably would make sense to try to manage it. But of course we can, you know, <laughs> we can go on for a long time, about it, all, all, of the various warning signs, but that, that'd be my high level.
0: That is, uh, I think, expertly described. And uh, I think uh, it really goes to show that you feel very strongly about this. And uh, I think uh this has a lot to do with the way that we draw value from ourselves. And uh, this reminds me of an article that you wrote um, called our mental health revolution. Uh, And I definitely recommend it to anyone who's listening. It's a a brilliant uh, piece that you've written uh, where you talk about the fact that we are at war with mental health and um, I think you you open it up in a lot of different factors. But uh, like you said, I think we sometimes tend to overlook certain patterns that we should be recognizing uh, in our minds that are causing some sort of pressure or causing us to experience something that isn't really there. And um, so do you think that this sort of pressure or stress is induced in some way by institutions or by academia? Um, in just the way that students and young professionals uh, seem to draw their uh, own value from the work that they're doing rather than, you know, the person that they
2: really are? I'd just like to add on to that question so that we we kind of cover the entire topic. Um, as you mentioned, you know, a very well well put. Uh, we've normalized, uh, you know, the misery uh, in, in the lockdown and, and we've all come to a space where work has become... The center of our day, the center of our lives—it's the one thing that we focus on more than anything else. So since we can't step out, since uh, you know, this is some form of um, social deprivation. Um, so, so not, not, only, not only would we like to discuss about how this has been imposed by institutions since we're very young, uh, you go to school, you go to college, you go to work, and you're kind of taught how to handle stress. It's considered a skill to be able to work under a lot of pressure and to be able to deliver. And so to what degree in, 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 a, in a healthy or an unhealthy manner has this also been normalized in our work culture and our academic culture?
1: Yeah, I think that that's a great addition. And I, I think there's, there's three things happening here at the same time. And so I'll take them each in turn. I think when you grow up, at least I can speak for myself in the States, but I think globally, this is probably a phenomenon too, to some extent. We have this romanticization of building wealth and building a career and success equals what you do with your, not what you do with your time and how you spend your time, but what money are you making and what fame do you, did you accrue? And so very early on, we have those values instilled in us by way of what are you going to be when you grow up? And people kind of look awkward if you say plumber, right? And if you say doctor, oh yeah, awesome. Right. Why? Well, we all know why, you know, the, the income and the prestige and the pedigree, of course, not to, not to say that, Being a doctor is not impressive, it is of course, but I think you all understand what I'm getting at here. Then you go into school and school in many ways has implicitly bought into this value system. Because when you go to undergrad or graduate school, You're buying into the system of, okay, I'm going to work hard now to invest in my future because I want to chase the next thing after that, which is the job, which is the career, which is the thing that I know is going to make me successful, which is what I've learned when I was a kid, right? You're not bucking the system and saying, no, I'm going to do my own way. You're buying into it. So I think naturally you have then another layer of self-selection where the folks who are in these institutions who are working for them, who are part of them, buy into that philosophy as well. So, So it compounds. And I do believe that institutions, students, faculty, staff, you name it. Yeah, there's a lot of work to do, right, culturally there in the same way that we have in the workforce and otherwise across the board, frankly. The more I learn about mental health space, the more I realize we're behind everywhere. Uh, But I think the competitive nature of the the academic sphere does not help, right, because you're now trying to compete and vie for the next thing, for the next thing. And that sense of competition and pressure naturally is not good for mental health, but you combine it with the value system of I want to be the best and I want to get the next thing. Recipe for disaster. Okay, which brings us to the workforce. And the workforce is, in many ways, the, the most dangerous, in my opinion, where, where like, like you mentioned, uh, Mariga, and I probably mispronounced that, so I apologize, uh, where, where misery is totally normalized to the point that you don't even recognize and we don't even talk about things that are problems as problems because everyone has collectively decided to put on a fake smile and pretend like nothing is wrong. And when it gets very dangerous here, in my opinion, because this is, this is what you've been working for forever, right? Like this is the end game, right? You know, when you're in school, you have the next thing, the next thing, you're on this conveyor belt. When you're in work, for many people, you're now in a career and, and making a career switch. That sounds crazy, right? I mean, it, just the concept of changing a job is one layer of uncertainty, but then thinking about, oh, macro level, should I be doing something else with my time entirely? That's a whole nother level of stress and uncertainty. And when you don't have a system that promotes well-being or holistic, I don't know, humanity, <laughs> but instead an endless rat race of workaholism and who can outwork the other person. And it's cool that I was up at 3 a.m. working on this deal when in fact, that's just not good for your sleep or health, right? Period. It, it doesn't lead to positive consequences. And I think you see that in the data here and you see it in the data worldwide. I know in the States in law, for example, attorneys are five times more likely than non-attorneys to have suicidal ideation. Substance abuse disorder, twice the the rate of the national average. Uh, Stories left and right of of mental health issues, despair, anxiety, I think is 37% of law students report having anxiety. 37%, right? So not to say that we can't fix these things. We can, right? These are all, to to bring it back to, to, to my article that you mentioned, Ananya, these are all solvable. We just need to view it through a lens of battle, right? As as opposed to, I think what we have uh, historically viewed them through, which is a lens of, oh, that's weird. Put that person in a corner with a straight jacket. (laughs) Let's not talk about that. Let's like hush, 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 right? About it. And I experienced that exact thing when I was in law school too. And Even now, there's so many people that that don't understand how to even discuss it. Uh, And so, we, we have a lot of work to do there, but I, I really am optimistic. It's it's not as hard as I think we collectively think it is. We just need more leadership and, and more competency pushing it forward.
2: Well, yeah, most certainly. I, I think that that covers a lot of it. Um, in in corporate culture, it gets dangerous because, like you said, you, you get out of school one day, but you're going to work for the rest of your life. Um, and I, I believe that as children, um, in, in, I, I'd say across the board, across the world, um, our parents instilled in us values to be hardworking, uh, to be to be committed, to be devoted to our work, and we pretty much have we pretty much have the same ideas of what success looks like. Um, and somehow somehow uh, there is there's this impression that all of us form at a very young age that you must hustle to get what you want. If you aren't hustling, you're mm-hmm. not getting there. And uh, that in itself is, uh, is a very problematic idea. So would you, like to, would you like to unpack that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think it's similar, you know, the hustle and the grind, it sounds similar to the whole notion of you must work hard in order to reap the benefits of success. And it's almost like the, the only path to true success, quote unquote, is if you are sacrificial by nature. So it's it's not results oriented or results driven. It it becomes twisted and morphed into uh, input driven in the sense that it's it's not the grade, right? But it's the fact that you stayed up till 4 a.m. studying that's the thing that you really need to do. And so I, I think you're 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 totally correct that the hustle culture and the normalization of hard work, which is a false you know, it's a false equivalency, right? Of course, to say that hard work leads to success necessarily, but even worse, that that hard work is the key, and you you must do it to achieve whatever it is that you seek. But I think it is a big problem.
2: So, kind of coming back to um, what we were discussing about mental health culture in the workplace or in in academia, um, there are a lot of there are a lot of problems. I do agree, but I think that. Um, the very first problem was what we touched upon first, which is self-identification, where people find it difficult to um, to reach a point of acceptance. And uh, where we live right now, we all of us are from Indian, where we live, we are still in the process of, um, as a culture, recognizing that this is a problem. Like, this is a problem that's just walked into the room and we had no idea it existed uh, up until now, apparently. And now everyone's running around with, um, you know, ch- like chickens, with their head, heads cut off? But certainly, we have seen uh, this 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 culture evolve. But the biggest problem that we face um, as as an organization, uh, and and even when we when we're reaching out to our audience, the biggest problem that we face is that the people that need to be made aware are not aware that they need to be made aware. And it's yep. difficult to reach that audience. And this is a problem. Um, this is a barrier because of language. This is a barrier because of reach. Um, and I'm sure you've had your own personal experiences about this, so so could you share some of those with us?
1: Yeah, look, you know that was me, right? Like I, I truly believe I'm one of these people that flew under the radar my whole life. Uh, I, <laughs> I got all the grades right. I, I'm I'm high functioning, right? Extraordinarily high functioning. So no one would ever look at me and think, oh yeah, there's clearly something wrong here. And I was also, you know, stubborn enough that I would brush aside thoughts of potentially this is a mental illness or this because I would look at the output and I would look at my efficiency and I'd be like, no, well, I, everything's fine and I'm happy generally, right? So everything must be all good so so there is absolutely a knowledge gap here and ignorance is not bliss ignorance is misery <laughs> and so i think you're you're totally correct and by the way it's it's the case here too i think it's the case everywhere right now and i don't I, I truly don't think there's any organization even that is caught up mental health wise and you know maybe we never will be right because this is an evolving area of i don't know what are you psychology the sciences neuroscience whatever you want to describe it going to continue to evolve as we learn more and more and unpack deeper and deeper insights about the workings of our mind and our bodies and and you know emotives but to reach these people it's this is why we need to start at a young age right like one of the things i think that's really missing right now is a basic fundamental education about just understanding what what the signs are right for for the various top uh, anxiety depression and, and maybe a couple of others just what, what, what exhibits look like or how to identify it. And then a couple of solutions, like without any sort of context, these people are gonna wander around forever and just be miserable. And, and I'll also add the denial component is big here too, because no one is going to voluntarily seek out that sort of label. So these folks that we're missing, they're gonna to want to stay under the radar implicitly because they don't wanna be stigmatized because we have such a deep stigma with mental health, right? And that's another barrier we have to overcome. So it's, it's going to take time, but I think the key is to just have these conversations, right, like, like the one we're having right now, because the more people talk about this and realize it's not a big deal and we shouldn't be stigmatizing something so normal, <laughs> uh, I think it'll slowly push the conversation forward.
0: I completely agree with you. Yeah, definitely. I think even now, even though we're, uh, we've we've taken a lot of steps forward, I think people are still a bit sheepish to share their own mental health struggles, because of course, it is a sign of vulnerability. And uh, I feel like in the world today, there are uh, just so many things right from cancel culture to trolling and uh, basically a lot of cyber hate that I think people are afraid of and I think a lot of our uh, in like virtual interactions now that that's been heightened because of the pandemic is based off of oh, what are other people going to think about me if you know I share this aspect of my life if I you know talk about this myself so yeah of course one is the self-realization that hey you know maybe this is something that I need to take care of but then there's also the fact that What are other people going to think? Because ultimately I live in a society. And um, I'm really amazed and very um, impressed and really, really appreciate the way that you have handled this because um, it's definitely something that can be so intimidating. You know, there are all kinds of people in the world and uh, sharing intimate aspects of your life. um, There there will, of course, be a lot of well-wishers and supporters and uh, people who will, Uh, you know, respect and appreciate that. But then there are also gonna be people who uh, mishandle that sort of information and uh, try to malign your name in ways. And um, yeah, have you experienced anything like that? And if you see that there are people who are also trying to share their own mental health struggles and they're, uh, you know, being trolled or having to deal with cyber hate, um, you know, what sort of message do you think you would wanna give them?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I do think this is a real problem. I, I would say for myself, I'm lucky and I'm grateful in that I have not personally received much you know messaging by, by way of, of hate and, and trolls for, for the mental health aspect of the things I've been discussing. And, and again, I'm grateful for that. I'm lucky for that. I think, I don't want to say that my pedigree defends and legitimizes my issues, but I think there is definitely truth there, right? And people are always going to be less judgy, or even if they are going to be judgy, they're going to say, oh, well, Harvard loss or whatever, right? Which, which doesn't mean anything, but I think that's how people think. So I think there could be that component to it. In any event, I, I think we're, we're getting a little bit better. Like I'm hopeful, I'm cautiously optimistic, at least on LinkedIn, which is, which is where I've seen some of these conversations happening. When I see people post about mental health issues and, and, and you know just more vulnerable things, the, the support and the response from the community tends to be pretty positive. And I haven't sensed a ton of bad energy that often. That said, I'm sure it's there. I'm sure it's maybe sent via messages or it's on Facebook or somewhere else. And so for the folks that receive those messages, like I think we have to all collectively accept that when we post anything on the internet, people will hate us. And I, I'm facing this right now, building a TikTok community and just seeing how any little thing you do there will be someone out there that just comes and spews venom. And I know that people, there's, there's some thought leaders in the space that say like, you have to meet these people with compassion. And like, I understand all of that. Right. And I think that the, the compassion is key. And like, of course, we should like not hate this person for being hateful. That's not at all healthy. I think what's more important to just think about though, here is like, we just need to accept as a default setting. Like let's just accept 5% of things are going to be negative <laughs> because in reality, like that's, what the internet is. We don't have a perfect you know, identification system where people are held accountable, right? People can hide behind the screen, hide behind a username and they're cowards, right? I'm not gonna condone this behavior. These people are losers, frankly, and they don't have any self-esteem and that's why they're doing these things. And you know, if you're out there and you're a troll, all I can say is like, ah, I don't know. Well, if you're listening to this, I guess, thank you for the view. That's all I have to say to you. In any event, um, I think we need to just accept that there are there are going to be people that are going to hate. And it doesn't matter if you talk about mental health or politics or law or, you know, business theory, like it could be anything. The internet will find a way to hate you. So keep doing you and putting your voice out there because every time you do, you strengthen the other people around you, like me, who are doing the same exact thing. And over time, once all of us are out there together, we're going to drown out the voices of the haters. It's just going to take time.
2: That's a great thumb rule also, right? 5% of the internet is always mm-hmm. a, it's a great <laughs> thumb rule.
1: No, probably much higher.
3: When we talk about physical symptoms, and I'm, I'm talking specifically with, um, I mean, I'm talking the context of India, um, it's not just about mental health, but usually most illnesses that, that can't be seen or, or, or can't be felt... By, by someone external to you. So if they can see something's wrong with you, then they will believe there's something wrong with you. So just wanted to understand your thoughts on the idea of, you know, legitimizing mental illness and whether it can look different, feel different for different people, um, or does it have to be, you know, is there a standard that when you feel so-and-so way um, is when, you know, you you have a legitimate mental illness.
1: Yeah, th- this is, so, I, I'll start by saying this is a complex set of issues that I still am grappling with it, by way of trying to understand the best framework to, to understand it. So I'll start, I'll start with my own experience because I, that's really all I have here, but, but more importantly because I think thinking it through this lens is helpful. The thing that got me questioning mental health as a pathway to treatment and you know, opportunistic future, whatever however you want to put it. I, so I did have physical symptoms, right? And I think, Shreya, you're correct that a lot of the times mental health is physical health. We just don't understand it that way. And so we attribute things to our body when really it's induced by our mind. And so I had gagging for over five years where I had no idea what was going on. And I thought that maybe it was just my stomach was messed up. I took the most expensive and and uh, str- strongest anti-acid medication on the market for this. And it old, ultimately it was all mentally induced, right? And so it was only when I accepted that it was mentally induced that it went away but I'll bring it back to this year when mental health really got darker during COVID. The thing that really pushed me to take it seriously, I had felt like, and this is gonna sound like very male perspective, I had tried to problem solve my misery, like in every possible way that I could, and I had run out of options. I did everything. I I, I was like, okay, well, let me let me try this out. Let me do. Uh, you know, I have this job, I have, I'm trying to exercise, I'm trying to do this, problem solve, problem solve, problem solve. You can't problem solve away mental health, right? You cannot problem solve away thought patterns that are distorted. You cannot problem solve away anxiety that's mismanaged. And I learned that by being totally miserable, despite trying so desperately to not be miserable. So I think one place to begin for people is, is to simply think about, am I miserable, right? And this is a whole set of issues that I think that we can open up here, but I think we, we don't do a good job explaining to people, first of all, that if you have ideation that says, hey, you should hurt yourself. Like, why do you even live? What's the point of it all? That is not, those are not like, those are intrusive thoughts, right? You are not your thoughts, right? And those are not, I'm not gonna say the word normal because that's not, there's no such thing as normal, but those are, those are signs of underlying medical and mental health issues that need to be resolved. And they're urgent. Right. And I have spoken with kids who are 23 years old, overachievers their whole lives. And they're telling me that they have these thoughts like every single day and they just think that it's part of life. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, we, I mean, how do we, this goes back to the ignorance discussion we were having earlier. We can't even. Help people if people don't even understand what metric to measure themselves by because we have no metric, because no one's ever talked about it, because we stigmatize it, we have no knowledge of it. So it's definitely a big issue, right? And I think the place to begin is by educating people first on the very baseline of what should and does fulfillment look like on some level, right? And, and what do intrusive thoughts look and feel like on some level, just to, so people can have a benchmark. And then the question becomes, how is this person feeling and are they miserable and are they or are they happy and if they are miserable let's think about if it's mental health related or if it's something something else right if, if, if it's not mental health then maybe it's just their career and they're not happy and if so great right that they're they're pretty in touch but I think understanding and accepting that someone is is miserable and that they're in control of that misery I think that's the hardest part for a lot of people and that was the hardest part for me and I think the stigma is a big part of that, right? Uh, you, you do anything you can to avoid uh, grappling with such a big question mark and such a big area that, that is uh, stigmatized so grossly.
3: Um, that's really, really well put. And I think there's one takeaway, if, um, and I don't know about the listeners, but for me um, personally, it would definitely be you cannot problem solve your mental health problems away. Um, that's that really resonates with with a huge group of people because you sort of grew up and and even in your workplace, that's that's one very very important skill and it's a new skill you develop. So you you seem to apply it in in most places in your life and it does work out. But with this one place uh, specifically that we're talking about today, it's it's I mean it's really well put, Julian.
1: Thanks so much. Yeah, no, thank you for the kindness, Ray. I appreciate it.
2: And I think we all relate with it on a very personal level. I I think that everyone on this call has, uh, I have seen everyone on this call trying to problem solve um, their mental health. And I'm glad that we took out the time to have this conversation today. Like you said, it's an important conversation and we should be having it. And we're so happy to have you, Julian. It was so great talking to you. And thank you so much. We appreciate the work that you do. And we need more people like you um, to keep the message going, yeah. My,
1: My pleasure. Thank you guys for having me on
2: we should do more mental health rants i feel like a rant is the right model for it this is not a yes. conversation anymore it yes we
1: just a very aggressive uh... yeah well it's funny you mentioned that because I, I definitely think there's this bias towards like a pity party like anytime you talk about mental mm. health like it's almost like you have to be sad about it and yeah. i'm actually getting to the point in my advocacy where i'm starting to just get pissed off oh yeah <laughs> and like <laughs> I'm like trending in the direction where I'm just going to start ranting, and I think it's that's actually real a really good thing, right? Because it's one layer removed from "quote unquote" feeling vulnerable, which makes people uncomfortable to some extent, um, and just easier to digest. So, anyway, I, I totally agree with you.
2: Yeah, and somehow anger is always posed as a more powerful emotion than yes, um, right. being being vulnerable yes. and sad about it somehow Mm -hmm. so yeah if this is how we can get the message out then so be it maybe this is how we do it by any
1: means by By any any means means. well Um, i love ranting so if you guys need anyone to rant you you let me know right
2: (laughs) (laughs) absolutely
0: we hope this episode was able to engage inspire and give your mental health a boost in these challenging times if you or someone you know is struggling with a mental health related disorder please know that you are not alone please feel free to reach out to us on our instagram handle at the rate underscore care or mail us at care at the rate we will connect you with some of the finest therapists and counselors in the country offering mental health services at affordable rates and provide you with the right resources to manage your mental health more responsibly take good care and have a wonderful day ahead